0: You see, he's touched by evil, right? He, he actually has a soul fragment that's embedded within him that's as black as anything can possibly be. That's why he could talk to snakes. But without that, he wouldn't be able to have any victory. And that's exactly right psychologically. Unless you can think the way that an evil person thinks, then you're defenseless against them. You bloody well better have imagination for that kind of evil. Because if you don't, then anyone who does wins. They beat you, they beat you, beat Good evening, Crypt Keepers, and welcome to another wild episode of Cryptique. I'm joined as always by my co-pilot on this journey through the cosmos. Ryan, what's up?
1: Not a lot, man, have been having really unusual dreams, and I think a lot of that is from all the things that I've watched and read in the last couple days, getting ready for this. I can say that watching a lot of the coverage of what happened was a little bit, it's one of the more frustrating experiences I've had with Kim, hmm. because she was sitting next to me going, like. like making that noise all the time and she's like this guy and then she'd like want to pause it or you know whatever stop me and be like no 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 this is is what's going on with this guy like F this guy
0: (laughs) yeah it so this story is probably one of the most amazing stories that I hadn't heard surprisingly you know up to this point it's pretty crazy so we'll get into it but First, uh, why don't we tell them what they need to know?
1: Yeah. If you guys want to help us out, and we really hope you do if you're listening to us, you can rate, Mm. subscribe, share, whatever you can do on your particular podcast platform. We're available all over the place. You can share us specifically with somebody that you know who you think is into this kind of stuff, conspiracies, me poo-pooing all of Jay's theories, all that good stuff. You can get in contact with us to tell us what you like and want to hear more of or what you don't want us to ever do again at gmail.com. You can find us on TikTok and YouTube at Podcast with an underscore for TikTok and without one for YouTube. You can check out our friends over at Parabox at the link in the show notes and you can see what we're working on over at Store.com. We're trying to bring you some ways to represent us in your everyday life. We we need to intrude a little bit more.
0: <laughs> it's so true.
1: Unfortunately, we can't find a way to mispronounce on like a coffee mug or a t-shirt yet, but
0: we're working on it. Working on it. That's right. So tonight's story, like, I don't know what the headline brought to mind for you guys. You know what the title of the show? Just general butt naked. It sounds like you know maybe we stayed up a little too late and uh, partied a little bit too hard and made a story up but we didn't this is an insane story and the best part about it is the debate that sparks from the transformation of GBN Can GBN yes GPN. GBN that's
1: a good that's a good way to put it
0: all right, so what are we talking about tonight? We
1: are talking about General Bud Naked. But first, we need to give a little background on the First Liberian Civil War. Mm-hmm. The First Liberian Civil War was the first in a series of two civil wars within the West African nation of Liberia, which lasted from 1989 to 1997. President Samuel Doe had established a regime in 1980, but totalitarianism and corruption led to unpopularity, Unsurprisingly, and the withdrawal of support from the United States by the late 80s. The National Patriotic Front of Liberia, or NPFL, led by Charles Taylor, invaded Liberia from the Ivory Coast to overthrow Doe in December of 89 and gained control over most of the country within a year.
0: So it's like an offshoot. Okay, it's, all right. So when we're talking about, it seems like in general in Africa, in these uh, kind of just civil wars that seem to, you know, spread across the continent and, and just a lot of different countries, everything is really murky. Like, there's no like set lines. Like, it's like, you know, the enemy of my enemy is my friend for now. And then, you know, a year later, we're going to, you know, bomb their car bomb their leader. And, and just like, it's just all these little weird, different offshoots of things. And it makes it really difficult to follow. Just when you, what you need to take away from this is that there's a lot of forces at work against each other here. And it's, it's even, you know, almost like the, uh, rhinos, right? Like, Oh, we're Republicans. Well, We're going to call ourselves Republicans, but we're not really Republicans. And I I think that there's just a ton of these groups, you know, in this country at this time. Massive insurance.
1: Yeah, lots of people vying for power. Okay, so Doe was captured and executed by the Independent National Patriotic Front of Liberia,
0: or INPFL. It's almost like they're saying, like, Oh, oh, you're the National Patriotic Front of Libya? Well, we're the fucking independent national. What do you think of that? Yeah. Who's going to come and be like, oh, yeah, well, we're the super independent <laughs> That's what I was just going to say, yeah. <laughs> All
1: right, so these guys were a splinter fraction of the NPFL led by Prince Johnson, and Prince is a name, not a title, in September of 1990. The NPFL and INPFL fought each other for control of the capital city, Monrovia, against the armed forces of Liberia and the Pro Doe United Liberation Movement of Liberia for Democracy. So, lots of long names. That's a hard. Everybody one. wants independence. Basically, yeah. peace negotiations and foreign involvement led to a ceasefire in 1995, but fighting continued until a peace agreement was reached between the main factions in August of 1996. And that's going to be an important year for us. Mm-hmm. Taylor was elected president of Liberia following the 1997 Liberian general election and entered office in August of the same year. The first Liberian civil war killed around 200,000 people and eventually led to the involvement of the Economic Community of West African States, or ECOWAS, or we might say ECOWAS if we have to say that a bunch of times, and the United Nations the peace lasted for 2 years until the second liberian civil war broke out when the anti taylor forces invaded liberia from guinea in april of 99 and it, it's probably worth noting i don't think anybody really knows how many people were killed i saw numbers around 250,000 yeah it's not a massive difference but i mean that is 25% more so a lot of people died and a lot of them were civilians a lot of them really right. didn't have anything to do with the conflict i mean some of these groups just you know it was like scorched earth they just rolled through right. and just blew everybody away
0: yeah eliminate everybody that opposes you you can't you know just kill the 30 year old dad because the you know then his kids would have you know, vengeance in their heart against you. So you eliminated everybody. Right. Uh, And I think that it's important, you know, I'm just not sure that the borders of some of these countries are very secure. You know, like, I feel like they don't necessarily recognize it's like, oh, well, that's the line. You know, we're from Guinea. We can't go invade Liberia, it's just kind of like, oh, well, that's just, you know, more land that borders on our land. So, well,
1: and a lot of the borders in African nations seem to be kind of arbitrary. Mm-hmm. In a lot of cases, set out, you know, set by colonization, or I mean, in some cases, I think Monrovia was established by a mining company.
0: Hmm.
1: I'm fairly certain that. I've read that before in the history of like diamonds. Mm-hmm. I think it was initially a diamond mine Yeah, that sort of established that area. So they would have just, I mean, if they're setting up borders that are still being used, they probably were not drawn carefully around. Well, these people are culturally similar to each other with similar religious right. beliefs and ideals. And, you know, we should exclude these, these tribes or these peoples or these communities or however they're divided you know, because of some dissimilarity. so we're yeah. they're probably probably a catalyst to these conflicts is the fact that people who are not naturally supposed to be working together mm-hmm. are kind of forced into the same group. I mean, it, it, I'm sure everybody can get their head around that that it's they're kind of dealing with some of the problems were caused by outside forces grouping people together in this way
0: i believe that really diamonds are kind of the main thing that liberia i guess exported or part of their you know uh gross domestic product or whatever I, i think that there was also a big um firestone plantation there where people worked and extracting the latex or whatever from the plants. So that, that's kind of their jam. That's what what they've got. But all right. So let's move on. Let's talk about the United Liberation Movement of Liberia for Democracy or ULMO. And you guys don't I mean in the context of history, it's important to know all these names and of these groups and stuff like that but it's not central to what we're kind of discussing in the show. So if you don't remember, ULIMO stands for United Liberation Movement of Liberia for Democracy. That's not going to like ruin your you know the knowledge that you gain from this show or the you know debate that you know will arise at the end. It's mm-hmm. it's not crucial, but it's, it needs to be said. So, Ulamo. It was formed in June 1991 by supporters of the late President Sam K. Doe and former armed forces of Liberia fighters who had taken refuge in Guinea and Sierra Leone. It was led by Rally Siki, a Deputy Minister of Finance in the Doe government. After fighting alongside the Sierra Leonean Army against the Revolutionary United Front, or RUF, Ulamo forces entered Western Liberia in September of 1991. Okay, so the the group gained a lot of territory in these raids or these, you know, conflicts, and especially around the diamond mining areas of Lofa and Bomi counties. Not, not sure if I'm saying those names right or not, but yeah, I mean, if you're going to try and gain control of territory, it may as well be the diamond mine territory, right? I mean, it seems like a decent investment. I mean, that's where I'm going. Like, hey, oh, you got oil? You got diamonds? Sure. From its outset, Ulumo was beset with internal divisions, and the group effectively broke into two separate militias in 1994, so they can't even keep a militia together. I mean, these are just... Factions that just split off and keep splitting off and keep Mm. splitting off, and you know, a little bit different goals here, a little bit different goals there, and it's like it basically turns into just armed civilians basically fighting each other. So the the two factions were the Ulamo J, no relation to me, I had nothing to do with it. Were an ethnic cron faction led by general roosevelt johnson and Ulamokay, a mandingo based faction led by alaja gv chroma yeah right now we're already getting splits um apparently but according to some of the podcasts that i've listened to on the topic uh, One, they interviewed, now this is just one woman that they interviewed from, you know, this region. And she said that we may see black people as black people, right? But in Africa, they can tell differences that we may not see or that may not appear in our population here in the States, you know, based on just you know, people
1: just mixing. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, so yeah, so mixing, but they, they like, they can tell each other apart, you know, similar to like where maybe, uh, we could tell the difference between, you know, a a regular dude from Louisiana or, you know, like a Cajun French Louisiana guy. I don't know. Maybe that's not the best way to say it, but they can tell the difference. So, This group was alleged to have committed serious violations of human rights both before and after its breakup. We're going to get into some bad stuff that these guys are doing, but it seems like everybody's doing really bad stuff. You know, war brings out the worst in people, and sometimes the worst in people is you know, as we've discussed, is just intolerable. But anyway, all right, enough of my babbling. Tell us about the aftermath of the first civil war. Sure. In 1997,
1: the Liberian people elected Charles Taylor as the president after he entered the capital city, Monrovia, by force. Liberians had voted for Taylor in the hope that he would end the bloodshed. And it did slow considerably, but didn't really end. Violent events flared up regularly after the reputed end of the war. Taylor, furthermore, was accused of backing guerrillas in neighboring countries and funneling diamond money into arms purchases for the rebel armies he supported and into luxuries for himself. The implicit unrest manifested during the late 90s is emblematic in the sharp national economic decline and the prevalent sale of diamonds and timber in exchange for small arms. After Taylor's victory, Liberia was peaceful enough so that refugees began to return. But other leaders were forced to leave the country, and some Ulamo forces reformed as the Liberians United for Reconciliation and Democracy, L-U-R-D, we might call it LURD. Mm -hmm. LURD began fighting in Lofa County with the aim of destabilizing the government and gaining control of the local diamond fields, leading to the Second Liberian Civil War.
0: Gotta get those diamond mines, man.
1: Yeah, I mean, the first one is against corruption. The second one is for control of the money.
0: Yeah, and everybody's corrupt. So, all right, let's talk about the impact. All right, so I'll just continue on with impact. So if you were to
1: imagine a population chart for the year 2020 in Liberia, where it's listed vertically by age, you'll notice an obvious cinching of uh, Narrowing of this graph between the ages of 23 and 31, which corresponds to the generation born during the years of the Civil War. The excess female population among those aged 46 and under is also due to young men and boys killed in that Civil War, or in these Civil Wars, really. The Liberian Civil War was one of Africa's bloodiest. From 89 to 96, it claimed the lives of more than 200,000, and like we said before, probably closer to a quarter of a million Liberians, and further displaced a million others into refugee camps in neighboring countries. Child soldiers were also commonly used throughout the war. Civil War claimed the lives of one out of every 17 people in the country, uprooted most of the rest, and destroyed a once viable economic infrastructure. The strife also spread to Liberia's neighbors. It helped slow democratization in West Africa at the beginning of the 90s and destabilized a region that already was one of the world's most unsteady. And you can see the impact of the fighting in even just some of these documentaries about this guy. I mean, some of the buildings, well, some of the buildings that they're in, you can see, you know, windows have been blown out, never replaced. You can see what appears to me to be bullet holes in walls, in like cinder block walls. Yeah. Probably from rifles. There are definitely bigger holes and smaller holes, so probably rifles and then handguns.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean it's it's obvious that at least at the time that this that the the documentary about Butt naked was made, which was I think two thousand eleven, you know, it had not they had not fully recovered. Or at least the more um poor or disadvantaged regions, you know, have not have not been rebuilt the way that you would expect them to be so long after a conflict like this.
0: Yeah, and especially if this country has diamonds that they, you know, can export and and make some money. So where's that money going? Where's the diamond going? And
1: with with so much will to try to move on from it mm-hmm. and recover from it yeah i mean that must we're we're not trying to say that they're incapable of cleaning it up we just we're trying to sh- highlight how much damage there was
0: and they have to have resources they may be able to you know they can make it better than it it is right now by maybe cleaning up rubble out of the streets and stuff like that. But if you don't have money to, you know, buy tin for a roof or, you know, whatever. I mean, you're back to mud huts, right? It's yeah, just, it is what it is. And these kind of, some of these
1: buildings that I saw, at least in my research, kind of look like that. Mm-hmm. You know, clearly, what was this a brick building or, you know, something a little bit more advanced has been kind of turned into a hut.
0: Mm -hmm. Because
1: they've had to improvise solutions for the damage that was done.
0: Yeah, and when you're thinking of maybe what some of these battles looked like, we're talking about stuff that's probably already, you know, not not built the greatest. And then you have kids, basically running around with rusty old ak-47s that i wouldn't touch uh you know just holding the rifles up over walls and just shooting randomly and just sticking the gun around a corner and just firing bullets randomly i mean where are all these firearms coming from i mean i know they're not great but you can't you know, you can't afford to feed your people, but somehow they all have AK-47s. and
1: Well, and you probably saw the same quotes I did where... Probably. They're saying, you know, child soldiers are great because they're not thinking about the future. Yeah. You can convince them that things are going to be okay and they're going to focus on what they're supposed to be doing. Like, they seem to take to having a purpose fairly well.
0: So, we'll get into some pretty shitty tactics that were used on children to you know, like you were saying, force them to fight, basically.
1: Sure. Well, now that you guys have some background, we'll get butt naked after a quick break. Welcome back, Gripkeepers.
0: So, General Butt-Naked. All right. Joshua Milton Blighy, who was born September 30th, 1971, is better known by his nom de Guerre, General Butt-Naked. So, Nome de Guerre is a name that you take basically for battle. So, it yep. could be war booty. You know, you hear about, you know, old Viking nicknames and, you know, even... Yeah. Na-
1: like in the Vikings TV show, there's Beer and Ironsides.
0: It's a cool name that you want to inflict fear on people or maybe a nickname people gave you based on your battle style or something like that.
1: Yeah, and the first couple of videos that I watched, just hearing somebody say it out loud, like when you heard General Butt Naked was coming, like you ran wherever you were. And it's just mm-hmm. like, it. it's such an odd name to strike fear. But then the more I learned about him.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: The more of that reaction made sense.
0: All right, so General Butt Naked, funny name, right? He is a Liberian evangelical preacher, writer, and former warlord, best known for his actions during the first Liberian Civil War. During the conflict, GBN led a group of soldiers which fought on the side of the rebel group United Liberation Movement of Liberia for Democracy, also known as U. L-I-M-O, or Ulimo, before converting to Christianity and becoming a pastor in 1996. So we have this scary dude, general but naked, and he was born in the Liberian capital of Monrovia to a Kron family, and again, that's one of the ethnic, uh, I guess, backgrounds, Blaye was handed by his father to several tribal elders who initiated him as a high priest in 1982 at the age of 11. So, this is an 11 year old. This is a child who is being told that they are now a high African priest. And I don't think they went into exactly what he was a high priest of what they called the religion, but just that he was an African high priest. You didn't see anything on a specific religion. I know everybody wants to say, Oh, it's voodoo. It's voodoo. But
1: yeah, I didn't really see a specific religion pointed to, but they were, you know, particularly one in one, uh, PBS video about it, it was, you know, part of a show where they were covering things that were being documented, that they were making documentaries of. They, mm-hmm. they showed You know, these images of him at war Mm -hmm. and overlaid that with him saying that he was a priest for his group, for his his, Mm -hmm. uh, squad or however he referred to it. And that may have come directly from the documentary itself, but it was a really it was one of the first things I ran across and struck me as. Maybe something he was just saying. But yeah, I couldn't find anything about the particular religious beliefs that he was supposed to be imparting to his fellow soldiers.
0: Right, right. Uh, So Samuel K. Doe staged a coup d'etat against President William R. Tolbert in 1980. The new regime employed Blighy to perform black magic rituals at the presidential palace in Monrovia to help him win the 1985 general election. And again, when we're describing them as black magic rituals, that sounds like a very Christian
1: interpretation.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, it, it, at this point, We're not saying that he's doing anything more than, you know, maybe sacrificing a chicken or doing some dances or, you know, drums or some sort of hallucinogens or something like that. It's just described as black magic rituals. In 1989, the National Patriotic Front of Liberia rebel leader Charles Taylor launched a rebellion against Doe's regime sparking a civil war. During the conflict, GBN and his men, a group of soldiers known as the Naked Base Commandos, fought without clothing and perpetrated numerous atrocities, including child sacrifice and cannibalism. So now we're stepping into, I don't care what your religion is. You can't do that, right? Like, if if you want to practice this or that, whatever... As long as you're not hurting anybody. And these people are killing and eating children, literally. Flai abandoned his life as a warlord and turned to preaching after undergoing a religious conversion in 1996, attributing these actions to receiving the vision of Jesus. In 2008, GBN testified at the Liberian Truth and Reconciliation Commission, claiming that his victims numbered at least 20,000 individuals. That's 10% of the total deaths in this civil war. The public testimony brought mixed reactions and led to international attention, leading GBN to be featured in several documentaries. And if you want more in-depth and you want to see the person and you want to see the victims and hear their voices, then the uh, redemption of general butt naked is a pretty good documentary. You can find it on uh, YouTube for sure.
1: Yeah. If you search for it on a, you know, streaming device like a Roku or whatever you're using it, it'll come up for rent or for sale, but it's on it appears to have been on YouTube for five years in its entirety, and nobody's done anything about it. So,
0: They're not too worried about it. Probably
1: YouTube doesn't care if this guy's not getting money from it or however that might work. Well, I don't know if you get paid for having a documentary made about you.
0: Oh, uh, GBN? Yeah. He, pro- he probably got something. Um, to me, it's pretty ballsy just to roll into Liberia in general. I wouldn't be caught dead there. But in any case, there's so much that I want to jump into as I'm reading, but we will get to it later. But just remember, this man claims to be responsible for the death of 20,000 people, as well as murdering children and cannibalizing children and using children in these black magic rituals. Uh, you want to get into his early life? We'll learn a little bit more about him. Sure. Right. Joshua Milton Blay
1: was born on September 30th of 1971, as we said, in Monrovia. Born into a Kron family, some of whom resided in Sino County, located in the south of the country among the Kron people. Belief in child sacrifice and black magic was common. When he was seven years old, his father granted parental control over him to several Kron elders who arranged for Blayi to be a warrior and initiated him as a high priest in 82. As Blayi noted in his memoirs, the role of a high priest included overseeing human sacrifices. Like other Kron priests, he would use visions to determine which individual would be sacrificed. After receiving the vision, Blayi would, quote, give the victim's last name to its village elders, end quote who would then lead a procession to the sacrifice victim's house, abducting and then sacrificing them atop an altar. After Blaye stated an invocation, the victim would then be ritually dismembered.
0: So now we're talking about dismembering people and using them in rituals. So it's getting dark, right? We talk about, you know, crime and punishment, and there's a difference between shooting someone from, you know, a football field away than chopping their body up and using it as a ritual. Now now both are murders. Both are bad. Both are wrong. But we're in wartime. So you know sometimes in a war, you know, you have to fight for your life. You have there's people that are coming that wanna kill you and you have to kill them. But, you know, this is taking it beyond just murder. So let's talk a little bit about GBN's wartime actions. Basically, during this time, uh, during the Liberian Civil War, Blaye became a warlord, and he led a, a unit of several dozen combatants, consisting primarily of child soldiers known as the Naked Base Commandos, which operated primarily around the Monrovia area. So Blahy and, well, when Blahi or GBN went into battle, he wore no clothes. Uh, A lot of the other people, you know, were not butt naked. They were just half naked or part naked. So you had uh, General (laughs) Butt Naked leading uh, Sergeant Half Naked, who was in charge of uh, private shirt off and you know so basically just imagine a armed conflict where it's uh shirts against skins
1: yeah and you can see this in some of their i mean there are videos out there of them like celebrating victories and things like that and they're in various states of undress
0: <laughs> yes
1: some of them are running around in like boxer shorts with you know, like military sort of utility belts on and uh-huh. helmets and whatever. Yeah, it's. It, I would not, if I saw that, if I even heard that, that was in my state, I would run. Like I don't even know what's going on here.
0: Some of them made interesting choices because, I think here, it's like if your general's like, out oh, you can't wear all your clothes. You got to take something off." I'm going shirt. But I have seen video of some of these people uh, that are fighting that are wearing, like, you know, a FUBU jersey and just zero pants. Like, I think I would have stuck with the pants. You know, you had a belt you can put in the belt loops. You know, they protect your junk from bouncing around and all that. So, that's just me. Some people uh, pick to wear the shirt. So, good for them. Uh, The reason... That uh, they, I mean, obviously there's got to be a reason why they're choosing to be naked in war. It can't just be like, you know, I like this look or whatever. There's got to be a reason. So GBN told his practitioners and believed himself that going into battle naked would make you immune to bullets during the conflict gbn's forces perpetrated numerous atrocities as we talked about including cannibalism and human sacrifice and i i think it's important to talk a little bit about how young these people were you know we're talking 10 and 11 year olds that he's dragging into war and i like you alluded to he is convincing them that if they shoot somebody, they don't just die. They're not like murdering people. They're just sending them someplace else. So the kids can be tricked into these atrocities if they believe that they're not hurting people. They're just sending them someplace else. And I think GBN said that he convinced them that they would just go to a different movie. Like yeah. Like, watch Rambo or something. Right, You know, right. someone yeah. dies, and they see him in another flick the next year. He was telling yep. them the same thing.
1: Yeah, it's exactly what I saw as well. Kind of the same thing. It's like, oh, look, they pop up again. It's okay.
0: So, GBN claimed that he received a vision from the devil during the conflict. And the devil told him he would be a great warrior and should practice human sacrifice and cannibalism to increase his power. So here we go. This is a seed, right? The devil made me do it. We hear this constantly. I'm, I'm not responsible for my actions. The devil told me that this was my destiny. Right? Yeah. You would think if he was a some sort of african or voodoo preacher or whatever he wouldn't necessarily believe in the devil at all the devil's a christian thing so and then also you know what just as some advice if the devil tells you to do something don't do it just don't (laughs) just know it's the wrong thing do the opposite Recalling the atrocities he and his soldiers perpetrated against civilians during the conflict, GBN stated in an interview, sometimes I would enter... Think about how horrifying this is. Yeah. Sometimes I would enter under the water where children were playing. I would dive under the water, grab one, carry him under, and break his neck. Sometimes I'd cause accidents... Sometimes I just slaughter them. This is a man who would get into a river and swim underwater and grab a child and kill him just to do it. Just to do it. That is a darkness which I don't know it can ever be brought to light again. You know there's some things that you do that you just cross the line.
1: Yeah, and, that's and there are there are scenes in the documentary where some of the former child soldiers mm-hmm. are talking about things that they did to kids and they're saying like you just had to had to do it. He was going to force you to do it if you didn't do it he'd hurt you.
0: Yeah, you'd be the one being sacrificed next. So He apparently also made his soldiers use psychoactive drugs. And I would assume that, you know, we'd be talking about some sort of stimulants mostly. I don't think you're giving someone mushrooms or acid and sending them into battle. I think that would be a pretty big detriment, you know, to your fighting skills. So he also said that whenever the naked base commandos captured a town i had to make a human sacrifice they bring me a living child that i slaughter and take the heart out to eat it this man sacrificed children cut their hearts out and ate them what's worse than that i mean i guess he wasn't sexually assaulting the kids that we know of Well, he admits to
1: rape in the documentary, but he doesn't specifically say that it's kids.
0: Yeah, I, I think he's talking about women. But in any case, the rival militias, including the naked base commandos, frequently fought with each other over control over Liberia's lucrative diamond fields and gold mines. And GBN traded gold and diamonds with Mexican drug cartels for weapons and cocaine. So, the cocaine came from Mexico. Where'd those weapons come from? I don't know. I mean, I'm not saying it's the U.S., because it it's, seems that they mostly fought with AK-47s, but they had to get them somewhere, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, they probably were left over from proxy wars, but yeah.
0: Well, if if they're getting stuff shipped in by Mexican cartels, I mean, who knows what they could have, so... yeah.
1: And this was right around the fall of the Soviet Union as well. Mm. I mean, I think 92 is when, like, kind of kind of the end of that, where, you know, most of the military had abandoned their bases and things like that too, and, you know, there are mm. weapons, and aren't there still nukes missing?
0: I'm sure there are. I'm 100% sure there are. Alright, on April 6, 1996, the NPFL launched an operation to arrest Ulamo rebel leader Roosevelt Johnson in the Monrovia region, leading to GBN and other militias affiliated with Johnson to resist the attempt by force of arms. The confrontation led to intense firefighting breaking out, which ultimately resulted in the forced displacement of half of monrovia's population so it got so bad that half the people in monrovia basically were like we're just going to be refugees we're out of here we can't can't live here according to damon Tabor of the new yorker during a firefight a bystander reported seeing gbn standing atop a truck quote holding an assault rifle in one hand and a man's severed genitals in the other. So there's things that people do that can be rehabilitated. If you have a gambling addiction and you, you know, swindled some money from somebody, we might be able to help you. If you can't get your drug problem under control and you know, you've been caught with heroin a few times we might be able to help you. If you're cutting dicks off and eating children and raping people and killing thousands and thousands and coming up with these creative ways to inflict terror and just be the biggest piece of shit you can possibly be, can, can that person be rehabilitated? We'll tell you about the alleged religious conversion after a quick break. Welcome back, Crypt Keepers. War booty. Tell us about this conversion.
1: All right, in 1996, as the Civil War was drawing to a close, Blighi claimed he received a vision of Jesus Christ who asked Blighi to stop being a slave.
0: It's the end of the war, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Ah, uh, there's another seed.
1: Yeah. So after after receiving this vision, Blayi eventually converted to Christianity and became an evangelical preacher, ministering to Liberian refugees in Ghana, along with former combatants who had served under him in the conflict. From 2006 onward, Blayi also made several visits to Monrovia's slums in an effort to engage with and assist former child soldiers who were living there. And this is documented in that redemption documentary. Mm -hmm. In 2008, Blighi became the first Liberian warlord to testify before the Liberian Truth and Reconciliation Commission, which it seems like most of the people involved just called that the TRC, which was established by the legislature of Liberia after the conflicts to investigate reports of atrocities allegedly perpetrated during the First and Second Liberian Civil Wars. And I think it is at least interesting to note that Prince Johnson... Uh, who we mentioned before, who, Mm -hmm. he was one of the other warlords. He was the one who overthrew Doe. He, from what I found, tortured and executed Doe on TV. Mm -hmm. And he was listed as one of the most notorious, or possibly the most notorious, sort of war criminal or warlord during this time period. And he's now, or at the time of the documentary, he was a senator. Yeah. You know, and they have interviews with people—people people who are involved in the court, people who are just citizens—and they're saying, you know, these people who did this to us, the people who killed and, you know, raised towns and did all this stuff—they're now part of their parliament. Mm-hmm. You know, so they're they're hoping for justice, but they're not sure if they're going to be able to get it. But anyway, he. He testified, and that testimony was broadcast on live TV. And he said that he believed the number of murders committed by him and the naked base commandos. Uh, what he specifically said was, should not be less than twenty thousand. Mm-hmm. And the courtroom just erupted, and they were, you know, yelling for everybody to be quiet and, you know, like to mm-hmm. to kind of calm down. And they even cut to experts saying, like, I there's no way he could have done that, like, by himself. Right. Like, he's not saying that he personally did that, but he was part of this process which caused it to happen.
0: He was a big part of this process. He he, he yeah. was he was recruiting, brainwashing, training, and lying to children to trick them into
1: these murders. He was also tricking them into thinking that they were safe with him. There's a Mm -hmm. guy that you told me about early on uh, Mm -hmm. that they just called Senegalese. Mm -hmm. I guess he was from Senegal. Very creative name. But he was 11 when he was recruited. And he says in his interview, like, well, I thought I was going to be safe. Mm -hmm. You know, this guy was a powerful person. You know, I'm just a kid. I thought I was going to be safer that way, which did not turn out to be the case. Yeah. He was recommended for prosecutorial amnesty by the commission. And what this means is, because I don't know if we've gone into it or you've said it and I've missed Mm. it, but this is not a war crimes court. This is sort of investigative to see if they recommend prosecution like that if something like that comes up in the event of a war crimes court which i don't know has i don't believe has actually happened
0: not not here no i don't think so yeah so in
1: liberia's testimony elicited mixed responses among the liberian general public he was both publicly praised and criticized for his actions during the war The testimony also led to Blayi becoming front-page news among Liberian press outlets, and several international journalists, including reporters from the Daily Mail and Vice Media, traveled to Liberia to conduct interviews with him. In 2007, he established Journeys Against Violence, a non-governmental organization with the stated aim of helping former combatants and street children to reintegrate into society. He has publicly called for Liberia to establish a war crimes court in order to prosecute suspected war criminals, arguing that former warlords, such as current Liberian Senator Prince Johnson, should go on trial in order to account for their individual roles played and the actions of their respective troops which committed atrocities and war crimes during the Liberian civil conflicts.
0: How are you going to sit there and say that these people need to be judged? You... have the most frail of glass houses ever to be casting stones at these people. And I know what you're going to say. You're going to say, well, he's saying that they're part of it and, you know, they were the main cause. But did they tell you to enjoy sneaking up on children underwater and snapping their necks?
1: Well, I mean, he did a lot of things and he admitted to a lot of them. He talked about carrying a cutlass Mm-hmm. which didn't look like a cutlass to me. It looked more like a machete, but either way, he yeah. was saying that like the, the the thing, the entity, what he referred to as the devil, but you know, who knows what it was. We've talked about there being a lot of things that can attach to you and influence you. So if that really is the case, it could be something like that. But he said that that thing told him to kill with that blade uh-huh. because like the blood and the life energy would go, to sort of feed it, it would go to where it's from, you know, the dark, dark place or something. I forget exactly how he put it.
0: Yeah, but isn't that also something they used in uh, like some of the DC comics? I mean, it's I don't know. It's it's a long-standing.
1: I mean, yeah, it's I mean, there fable, are. I think what is it that yeah, there's a DC comics character called Katana, I think, mm-hmm. who. Whose sword traps souls,
0: something like that.
1: And there were, there were video games on the PS2 that I remember. There's one called Shinobi where it's the same sort of thing like the sword that the guy has is powerful, but it consumes the souls of the people it kills. And if you don't kill somebody, it starts hurting you, yeah, or you know, kill a monster or whatever, which is what you're doing in the game. So it's okay because you're killing monsters, but exactly. Anyway, yeah, you're right, that is kind of a, a trope in certain media. So I guess we'll just get back to his career as an event. I mean, could creature. we say
0: that that whole thing with the sword that's planting a seed too? It's yeah. the sword. It was the sword in the yeah. warlords, not me.
1: For sure. There's a lot of there's a lot of that. But I guess we can save some of that for final thoughts. Yeah. Uh, so during his career as an evangelical preacher, Blay has attracted numerous benefactors from outside Liberia, including Bohan Yankik. Yeah. I have no yeah, idea how dude. to pronounce that name. <laughs> a Christian, I thought it was going to say from Norway, but it's a You're Christian right. pastor based in the West Village of New York City. He would later write... The foreword, To the Redemption of an African Warlord, an autobiography written in 2013 by Blighi and published by Destiny Image Publishers, described by Tabor as a small Christian press. That Christian pastor from New York, whose name I'm not going to try to say again, wrote in the book's foreword that, quote, Not since the conversion of Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus have I ever heard a conversion story more radically compelling.
0: Yeah. I think maybe we'll just save some of that for final thoughts, like you said. (laughs) Because we can talk
1: for another 20 or 30 minutes on that.
0: Yeah. So in pop culture, GBN's notoriety and public testimony has led to numerous appearances in pop culture, as you could imagine. In 2010, journalists from Vice News produced the documentary called The Vice Guide to Liberia as part of their road travel series, The Vice Guide to Travel. I I mean, what are you going to Liberia for? I'm sure they have some beautiful beaches there. I'm sure it's cheap, you know, but hmm. is it, I don't know.
1: I don't know. I mean, I'm saying I have, no, my, mm, was, I have no idea.
0: You want to go to, like, you know, pick your own diamond at the Diamond Mine? I just don't know what there is to visit. But I mean,
1: I've worked with people whose family traced back to... African countries that you might not consider like a normal tourist destination. And they go there, you know, because it's culturally significant to them and they have family there or, or just ties there and they want to kind of know where they come from. So some of it could be that.
0: And while we're putting this out there, this documentary uh, that we talk about, the redemption of general, but naked, everybody in Liberia speaks English well. So it's, it's very helpful when they're expressing themselves that you don't have to try and interpret things because they're able to, you know, voice it. So in any case, in the documentary, GBN had an interview with the journalist and he claimed that the planned withdrawal of the United Nations mission in Liberia in 2011 would lead to further violence breaking out. The filmmakers also filmed GBN conducting a sermon in Monrovia in front of numerous former child soldiers. In 2011, filmmakers Eric Strauss and Danielle Anastasian produced a documentary about GBN, like we talked about, the redemption of General Butt Naked, and it's it's worth the watch. You know, basically, we have kind of covered everything and we didn't go too in depth because what we're going to be talking about in final thoughts really we're not going to get into a political history of liberia and what groups did what and stuff like yeah. that so we'll give you our final thoughts after a quick break Welcome back, Crypt Keepers. Ryan, you want to go first? Sure. Go ahead.
1: I don't totally know what to think. <laughs> uh, I watched interviews with him, and he seems, there are moments where he seems to have true remorse. But there are a lot more moments where he's like, he's not saying, I'm sorry. He says that at his right. Uh, testimony. Right. He says, like, you know, the the one of the women on the panel who are asking questions is saying, you know, why why would you admit to this? Mm-hmm. You know, almost everybody else that we have here would try to hide this. And even Prince Johnson is saying, you know, what did I do? They tell me I had child soldiers. Where are the children? They told Mm -hmm. me I did this. Where's, where's the proof? Where's the, where are the photos? Where's the video? You know, I, Mm
0: -hmm. you know, he,
1: he admits that he did what he did to Doe, but he's like, that's it. Mm -hmm. You know, he's very much like, you can't prove anything. He he's, he's like a mission impossible villain. He's like, you can't prove anything. You can't get me. And then you have GBN who's saying like, yeah, I did all this stuff. And they ask why. And he says, because I want to say, I'm sorry. I want to say, I'm sorry to the nation. You know, and my faith told me to do it, to, to, to apologize. Right. And a different faith told me to do the horrible things too, but yeah. And that's interesting and it seems compelling and I can almost understand why they would lean towards amnesty, especially if he's trying to do something that's good. And one of the interviews with a guy from the court says like, yeah, doing good things after committing a crime is good but mm-hmm. you still, there has to be some kind of accountability mm-hmm. for the crimes that you've committed. And it, this was something that you pointed out to me before I even saw any of it, was that like, you'll notice that he, you locked onto this right away, that he, he doesn't say I'm sorry to the people that he hurt. He yeah. says, you have to forgive me. Yeah, You must forgive me. There are two scenes in particular in the documentary that I'm thinking of where one, he's apologizing to the sister, Of someone he killed, and she's crying and she's trying to walk away from him, and he like puts his arm out to stop her. Yeah, and he's like, "I, what does he say? I didn't mean to do it. Like, it was war. I did it in madness.
0: Like something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Your
1: brother's gone, but I can, I can provide brotherly counsel for you if you ever need protection. Like, call on me. Mm -hmm. That kind of thing. And it's very much. I don't know. It's about him. You have to forgive yeah. me. Yep. So that's 100%. not... percent. Yeah, that's not the most compelling way to go about it.
0: I don't think Jesus would go about it that way. Yeah. Yeah, and then
1: Senegalese, that's the one that you brought up to me, you know, most specifically.
0: What'd they do to him? What did GBN do to him? So what
1: apparently happened
0: was a... Some sort of Christian
1: missionary came to gbn's base or whatever mm-hmm. and was talking to him about jesus and and praying with him and they they have an interview with a guy who claims to be the one that that did this mm-hmm. and gbn saying that he's just like wanted him to leave wanted him to get out you know just went along with you know said the prayer or whatever and he left
0: mm-hmm. and then he
1: calls senegalese up and he's like where were you and he says i I've, I've been right here the whole time and he goes no you're lying And they have this argument that Senegalese says he never saw anybody, never saw a man, and he's like, No, he was dressed like this, and it's like, No, I never saw anybody. And so he said he took out a he said a magnum pistol. I don't know exactly what that would be. You know, 357,
0: 44, 44, yeah. Something,
1: you know, ridiculous. Yeah. Something that would blow a hole in a vehicle. Yeah. And he shot him in both legs and threw him in a bathroom and left him in there without any treatment for a week. Mhm. And remember Senegalese was 11 when he was taken as a soldier. So he was I mean at best a teenager mm-hmm. when this happened. And he said that he was rescued. Senegalese said that he was rescued after a week and taken to a hospital, but there was no saving his legs. And there's quite a bit of footage of him you know in this wheelchair begging for money and somebody even says like get a job and he goes what what am I supposed to do? Yeah. You know, what 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 job would I get? Yeah. You know, and people are trying to care for him and he's obviously living in squalor. What they were referring to as the slums, yeah. And there's a scene where G B N comes to him and he's like, Hey man, how's it going?
0: G B N tracks him down. He's trying yeah. to avoid him.
1: Right, he even says it. He's like, I've been trying to contact you, but I haven't been able to like how how are you doing like what's going on like i'm you you have to forgive me
0: yeah how the fuck you think i'm doing
1: yeah and then suddenly like they they're zooming in on his face and he just looks
0: yeah terrified
1: like he's in panic almost to me i mean he doesn't yeah he doesn't have like he's not hyperventilating or anything that's obvious but he he's looking around he looks like he doesn't know what to do he's not not like looking. he could
0: run if he could.
1: Yeah, he's not looking at GBN, and then he just puts his hand out, shakes his hand, hugs. Mm-hmm. They've got footage of GBN pushing him around the village in his wheelchair, right. and they're talking and stuff. And it's it. I think the way it's cut is made meant to make you think that it's a real sort of reconciliation between the two, but it seems so fake, yeah, and forced and like. You know i mean senegalese would be in a position where he's less able to defend himself than he was as a kid that got mm-hmm. shot because he can't he can't move very well and he's right. on a dirt road he can't even just be like you know just give himself a good Roll push away. and go down the hill yeah, <laughs> yeah like yeah. he's he's at this guy's mercy mm-hmm. so if you were confronted with a person who did that to you and they're trying to be nice to you you might be like all right i will Say and do whatever I need to say and do to avoid you taking my arms next or whatever else.
0: Yeah. 100%. Yeah.
1: And there's a lot of it. A lot of these moments where Kim was sitting next to me and she was just "Ah, ah," making these noises. Mm -hmm. And she was like, this guy's a psychopath. Yeah. Like everything's about him. He has, Mm -hmm. you know, he's egocentric, antisocial, no remorse for one's actions, absence of illusions of grandeur. Yeah, like, she's she's going through all the things that define a psychopath. And she's a medical professional, so she... I mean, she's not a psychologist, but she's had to study some of this stuff and study these right. behaviors.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: she's saying, like, this is, like, textbook. Yeah. I mean, yeah. this is, you know, it's... She's like, I don't, I don't buy this at all. And then eventually she just got up. You know, there, there's so much that we didn't tell you in this. And mm-hmm. I really don't recommend even this documentary... To be taken lightly. Yeah. When you first told me the name, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, that sounds like, you know, a funny username from like COD back in the day, yeah. or like Fortnite Today or something, and like Bass Naked Commandos or whatever sounds like a really funny band name. Mm-hmm. You know, like if Here Come the Mummies broke up, they might form into that. But it's it's horrific. It is. And it, just, to, just my final thing. A lot mm. of his behavior in these interviews, he seems unburdened. Uh, yeah, yeah. He doesn't seem like he's weighed down by any guilt. No. Nope. I mean, I've, I mean, if you've ever accidentally hurt anybody, you've you've probably been really distraught, or if you've gone through yeah. anything really traumatic or stressful. Mm. When I was in college, I was driving down this like country road, and a guy ran a stop sign in front of me. You know, There's mm-hmm. crops grown up on the side. You can't see very much. This guy runs out in front of me and for whatever reason just stops his car. And I'm already too close to him to break in time, and I wind up running through a cornfield. And that, that stuck through me and weighed on... Stuck through me? That stuck with me and weighed on me for quite a while. And this mm-hmm. guy is saying he's responsible for the deaths of 20,000 people, killing women and kids and You know, eating hearts and things like that, and he's just like singing as he's getting ready for the day and putting on a nice suit and all this stuff. It's it's unconvincing.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. So, GBN, right? In the United States, if you have a buddy that says, "Hey, I want to," you know, knock this quick shop over, right? I want to. You just drive up, I'll run in, get the money, come back out, we'll split it. If something goes south and that that you know robber shoots the person in the quick shop, the person that's driving the car can be charged with murder. And usually is. And they try and get them to, you know, flip, but you could face 15-20 years for driving a getaway car for one person for something that went bad. This guy has admitted or at least confessed that, you know, he and his band killed 20,000 people. He killed children. He quartered people. He ate people. He did the things that we probably find the most disgusting of all. And I think what happened is he realized, you know what? I can't make rockets that are going to take us to the moon. So I can't go work for NASA like the war criminals did from World War II.
1: Yeah, there's no project paperclip for you.
0: Right. I don't have a pharmaceutical company, so I have nothing to offer the United States or whoever may come to my aid. What could I possibly do to get out of being hanged? What could I do? Well, the only thing I can think of is to say that I got a visit from Jesus and I'm going to go on this publicity campaign to make it seem like I've converted. Because that's the only thing that is keeping me alive. That's it. Now, I am not... I I don't want to just say that this man did not have an interaction with Jesus. I'm not going to say that he did or he didn't. But I'm not going to just completely dismiss it. Because I believe that that happens to people sometimes.
1: Yeah, my dad had a sort of spiritual experience. Mm -hmm. You know, he had problems with drinking and stuff after military service, and he went to this religious retreat that I think my mom wanted him to go on, and he had had an experience there that he can't exactly describe, but, you know, he kicked all these bad habits after it, like Instantly, and that's you know, the rest of the family confirms that like a lot of these issues that he had kind of went away, and he became a more it wasn't like he was a bad guy, but you know, you're you're messed up after war, yeah, and a lot of that went away, but he didn't you know, he, he didn't kill 20,000 people, right? He wasn't even the type of military person who fought, he was part of a, you know, he's part of like a communications group.
0: Mm -hmm. So
1: he traveled with like frontline soldiers, but he was setting up equipment and things like that. So he was, you know, he was injured in combat, but he was not really one of the ones doing the fighting. So, I mean, it's not, man, it's not the same. I I don't know that I've heard of a situation like this,
0: you know, like this big of a flip flop.
1: Yeah. Where you go from being like a monster where just you know your war name inspires fear in people and makes them want to get where you where you and what your colleagues are doing cause half of your country to become refugees
0: well and let's not call them colleagues they're children that you tricked into well I'm saying I'm saying
1: the other warlords the other leaders okay
0: okay gotcha
1: I wouldn't say conspirators, because it seems like a lot of them were operating independently of each other. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it's just a power struggle.
0: That's basically
1: what it is when the top is taken. out, I mean, we talk about like, why, why can't we have like a flatter hierarchy? And that's kind of part of why, I mean, and that goes back to the Roman empire leaving England, Mm. England. If you believe they left, that was, that was in chaos for centuries because, suddenly this power structure was gone and it went from a major power controlling everything to bands of independent warlords Mm -hmm. kind of controlling everything and trying to reestablish control. But yeah, I've, I've never heard of a, a flip flop like this.
0: So in my opinion, he can have this religious conversion or he can be put to death. This was the only thing that gave him a chance at freedom the only thing and I don't buy it I could be wrong but until Jesus has a visit with me and says no 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 no, I told him I told him that (laughs) I, I didn't want him to have to answer for his crimes I'm saying this guy's full of shit when you see him okay when you think about jesus you think about kindness softness gentleness forgiveness support empathy this man has none of that he when you say that he's talking to this kid that he basically you know was responsible for him losing his legs he's not saying please forgive me i was wrong i made a lot of mistakes i'm a horrible person i'm trying to fix things i want things to change i'm trying to atone atone for my sins it's exactly like and it's not even just you have to forgive me you know this is going to help even if he was to say like i understand that you hate me. And you should. And I get that. But what will be beneficial for you? It will be beneficial for me, of course, too. But it will be beneficial for you to forgive me. That will lift a burden from your heart. If you can find it to forgive me, then, you know, you can accomplish anything. It's not that at all. It's it, you know are do you want this person's forgiveness or their lunch money because that's how you're acting <laughs> you know you you have to forgive me towering over this boy in a wheelchair you have to forgive me you have to forgive me that's how he's saying it it's not
1: yeah. it's not an appeal it's an order almost
0: it is it it absolutely is it is a guy that looks like he's gonna fucking cut your throat if you don't say yes I forgive you. And that is showing me that there was no conversion. There is no conversion. This man's simply trying to stay out of prison. And you know what? It's working. Yeah. And he's a smart dude. Anybody that, you know, has been through all the stuff he's been through is a smart guy. But like I said, until Jesus comes and tells me, I told him to convert. I'm calling bullshit on this one.
1: Yeah, and as what I mean, there are some convincing things in the story, like his wife. His wife talks about meeting him at church, mm-hmm. and, and that it wasn't. You know, she said he would sit here, so I would sit somewhere else, and then he'd move, so I'd move.
0: You know, mm-hmm. she knew
1: who he was. She was afraid of him, and she said it wasn't until they got married. Like, they started to form this relationship, and she saw him as a good man and all this stuff. She tried to kind of separate his past, and she said it wasn't until they got married that she really kind of tried to reckon with what she had done. That she Mm -hmm. had married General Butt naked.
0: Yeah. She's now Mrs. Butt naked. (laughs) Yeah,
1: and she thought of him being a good, good man and a good father, not easily angered. Stuff like that, and, and from the photos, they have like four kids, or at least at the time of the documentary, they did. Maybe they have more now. I know, who knows? And he, there are a couple points where he's dealing with the former child soldiers that he's trying to help. Mm-hmm. And I, I can't exactly quote it, but the the gist of it is. You know, I've done all these terrible things in my past. I want to try to do something, you know, I can't undo that. So I want to try to do something sure. good to, to kind of balance the scales a little bit. Mm. I want to, you know, put some good back in the world. And the, whatever he, however he said that, that was the one point where Kim was like, okay. That's the one thing he said in this that seems sincere, that seems convincing and real.
0: So what I've noticed in covering a lot of true crime stuff, uh, first of all, When people seem to have a religious conversion, they admit their mistakes and confess and testify if that's necessary, because that's part of healing their soul. Mm. You know, hey, I killed three people. I'm a horrible person. Jesus has forgiven me. I must spend the rest of my life in prison as penance, and then hopefully I can be accepted into the kingdom of heaven or at least into purgatory where, you know, I'll have a a chance later. And when uh, I for I I wish I knew where I got this from. I don't know if it was from a TV show or a documentary, but there was a, a criminal who asked a priest well, if I told you what I did, would you turn me in to the police? And he said, well, no, I I wouldn't turn you in, but I would convince you to turn yourself in. So you can, Mm -hmm. you know, you can pay for what you've done and, and give some, you know, I guess, closure to the family or whatever. So when people generally have a Christian conversion, and it seems authentic, they are also saying that they deserve, you know, prison time or whatever to atone for what they've done. This man has not had a lifestyle change. He, he lives his life, you know, like a, a normal citizen. And even if all of his conversion stuff is true... Like you said, he still has to pay for what he did. Yeah. You know, Jesus isn't going to tell you. He's not going to. And obviously, I'm, you know, I haven't had a conversation with the guy. At least I haven't heard back. But, uh, (laughs) it's, I don't think that he would be like, yeah, fuck it. Just live your life how you want, bruh. We'll just, we'll just, uh. Cross this part of your life off and uh, you know, you go preach and everything will be all good. I I just, I don't know. I I don't see it happening that way.
1: Yeah. And Kim would probably be upset if she listened to this and heard that I didn't mention her specific story, but (laughs) she was talking about a case in one of her, you know, true crime documentaries that she Mm -hmm. watches or listens to, but it was, a case where a wife was trying to hire a hitman to kill her husband mm-hmm. and she, it was basically a sting kind of, it was a setup. However you want to put that, whatever the right term is. I don't want they you They made it like, seem uh,
0: like he was murdered. Well, yes they did. They, it was, uh, yeah, it's Michael D. Polito case. I'm familiar. So with that. she
1: ahead. tries to hire a hitman. It's a cop. Yeah, You know, the whole things is set up. They pretend that the husband's dead. Uh-huh. They're questioning her and all this. And then they bring the husband in eventually. She's saying, yeah. well, I didn't do anything. And, you know, then they bring the husband in and she's saying, like, you, you need to protect me. Like, help me. Mm-hmm. She's appealing to the husband to help. Who knows that mm-hmm. she was trying to have him killed.
0: Saw the video of her soliciting his murder. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: And... Kim said that this very much gave her the same kind of vibes as that that, yeah. that he's the, the way that he's going to people and saying like you have to forgive me you know hmm. appealing to basically his victims for I don't know for forgiveness
0: whatever almost it like is a he's looking
1: for yeah and I think that's what a lot of this stuff is and honestly the amnesty thing might really be because, like, in order to create this sort of shield for himself, he's actually doing some good. Because they there's a scene where he's telling these um, former soldiers that if he's recommended for prosecution, he will probably be thrown in jail. He's thinking that there's definitely going to be a war crimes court after this. Mm -hmm. So he's like, I'll probably be put in jail and I won't be around for you guys anymore. But like, you can keep doing this stuff for yourselves. you can keep improving your own lives. He's talking about how they you know used to live on the streets and they were on drugs and all this and and they can keep on the same path that they're on. but he's a lot of it he's phrasing in a way of like, I did this for you. I'm the reason your life is better now. Mm-hmm. I won't always be here for you, but you can remember that I'm like with you and all this stuff. A lot of it's still very much about him, but then one of the the soldiers is saying, You know like in my heart it's jesus and then you
0: Mm.
1: like you did this stuff for us you you brought us back and gave us a new path forward and brought like what was it like joy or peace into our hearts again something like that you know so it seems to have genuinely affected some some of these guys Mm -hmm. and it might just be a matter of do we want do we want to stop him from doing this work? And then the other part of it is one of the one of the people involved in the court, I think it was one of them, when they were interviewed, there's so much of it to keep track of in these mm-hmm. interviews, articles, videos but there's somebody who flat out says, if we start going after all these warlords, we're just going to start up another civil war, essentially he's like, "There, you know for every one of these guys, there's people who supported them and who were against them and we're going to infuriate the people who are for them and potentially start another conflict
0: yeah I hear you man but I just I, I disagree I think that this particular person needs to be held accountable. Oh, I'm not
1: saying that he shouldn't be held accountable. I'm just saying this might, you know, it might be that they...
0: And I'm not saying I disagree with you. I'm saying I disagree with their... Oh, with the idea that, okay,
1: gotcha, gotcha, yeah. Because, I mean, I see that as the three possibilities. They buy it, they don't buy it, but they're going to let him keep doing his thing. Or they think that by, you know, they're strategically not going after certain people to avoid another conflict. And one of the more... One of the stranger things that he says is you know there's a point where he I think goes to Guinea mm-hmm. uh, it's either Guinea or Ghana as a refugee like basically he's he's hiding mm-hmm. because he starts getting death threats
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know and there's footage of him like reading these emails or whatever on his phone or how, however he's getting these threats
0: mm-hmm.
1: and he's saying like I know who I used to be and I know what I'm capable of and I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to fight back. I don't want to kill anyone ever again. So I have to go into hiding to avoid. It, it's like uh, Rorschach in Watchmen. Yeah. Like
0: You're locked in here with me.
1: Exactly. Yeah, you're, you're, yeah, I'm not, you're, I'm not in Liberia with you. You're in Liberia with me.
0: I don't know. Maybe we just need to uh, send a letter to Congress that's saying that he wants to back the uh, Liberian monetary system with diamonds or gold and they'll go kill him for us but yeah I mean I get it I get it that they don't want to cause another civil war but I don't believe that General Butt Naked deserves amnesty freedom and certainly going back and visiting his victims Now, how many of these 10-year-old boys that were brainwashed and tricked by this man that have, you know, withstood atrocities, committed atrocities, how many of those people have gone to therapists to help them process their trauma? What percentage do you think? And I don't have a percentage. I
1: would say virtually none.
0: Yeah. So they have no way no tools to process what they've been through their own trauma this horrible boogeyman and he goes back to him and says oh you don't want me in prison do you uh no don't don't kill me yeah so general butt naked is a it's one of the most odd names i think we have heard or probably ever will hear because it does sound like something that would be on south park oh general butt naked's trying to you know get his militia to take over the town again or something like that yeah
1: there's there someday might be like a general dicks out in like a florida rebellion could be but until then this is very strange
0: Get attacked by a militia of people in orange FUBU jerseys and no pants. <laughs> Do you... I, I saw this
1: post... Well, it was an article, but there were people posting about it online like months ago, maybe a year ago. About a crocodile just kind of cruising around Florida with a knife stuck in the top of its head.
0: I did not see that, no.
1: And somebody commented on it and said, whoever pulls this knife out gets to be the king of Florida.
0: <laughs> yeah. That,
1: that, that's how it'll start. <laughs>
0: That would be awesome. But now as far as this guy goes, personally, I'm going with full of shit. And I know you gave your final thoughts, but what are your what's your thought on his true conversion? I think it's too convenient.
1: I mean they were saying ninety six was the like height of chaos in this huh. civil war. But it was also, the writing was on the wall. Like, there were officially supposed to be treaties and ceasefires. Mm-hmm. And I think it's one of these. I mean, he. I still don't understand exactly how it happened because I don't know that I saw anything that covered it particularly well. Like, this is where. This is exactly what I saw. This is how I felt during it. It's like, oh, I've had this revelation and maybe i'm missing something and if i am please email in and, and tell us and tell us your thoughts on it and we'll we'll bring it up in another you know after party kind of episode but i don't know i like you said it seems that the timing is too convenient and it seems to be a way of shielding himself i mean it it's it's the without being able to say i was just following orders it's mm-hmm. probably the best he can do
0: well and i i feel like You know, if it was the United States or England or something, there there would be a paper trail. There would be and we'd probably never see it, but uh, there could be a paper trail and accountability and stuff like that. But I feel like here it's like the warlords, they really didn't have a strategy. It was like, just uh, go kill everybody here. Oh, okay. well, go kill everybody there and it's just like we're just trying to commit murder for murder and it's not like hey let's get the women and children out and you know we can show them that we're we're not horrible people you know we we're going to help them rebuild their village or or whatever it's just hey go out and murder as many people as you can okay can i do it all fucked up and enjoy it sure however you want to do it okay well i'm going to get you know a bunch of children give them guns tell them to murder people trick them into it I'm, i mean it's it's just too much to flip i think you know it's it's like if you're you want to do a bench press okay so the bar weighs 40 pounds and then you add 225 pound weight so you're at 90 pounds um at a certain point, if you keep adding weight, you won't be able to pick it up. You know, you have your general 90 pounds. Well, then you add 25 pounds of just enjoying killing people. And then you add 25 pounds of brainwashing children. And then you add 25 pounds of cannibalism. And you add 25 pounds of ritual sacrifice. And you have 25 pounds of, you know, enjoying dismemberment well you can't pick that up anymore and his weight is too heavy for him to switch because it's got all this stuff on it that is not just wartime activities even if it was I admit that I killed you know women and children you know with a rifle at times throughout the war. It's, I did all this super, super dark shit in service of what I knew was the devil who was controlling my sword. It's just, it, I, I don't know. I don't think you can make that, that switch. I really don't.
1: Well, I think that's a good place to probably end it. Because I think I'm, I'm in agreement.
0: I really wish that I could believe it. I just can't. And, you know, like Ryan said, let us know what you think at crypticpodcast at gmail.com. You want to tell them the rest of what they need to know?
1: <laughs> yeah, as we said at the top, if you want to help us out, share this Maybe not in this episode, this is a little darker than most, but share with somebody that you think will enjoy it. Tell us what you want to hear next at the email address that Jay just provided, and check out Parabox. Blend that on a lighter note. They don't have anything about butt naked, but they have a lot of really cool cool stuff that references other paranormal topics that we cover, and we will see you guys in our next afterparty.
0: Good evening, Crypt Keepers.